0: Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, my name is John Middick. Welcome back to the show. This is a colored pencil podcast. I want to welcome back to the show Barb Sariopoulos. Barb, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: No problem. Glad to be here.
0: All right, so a little later on, I'm going to talk to you about how to get a free sample of UART pastel paper. So if you've never tried UART pastel paper, then there are two ways to get involved with that. And I'll talk to you about those a little later on in the show. So I started out hating UART when I first attempted it, but later on, uh, I began to love it and I love it today. So give UART Premium scented Pastel Paper a try and experience the UART difference. This is going to be a slightly different show today. Uh, Barb and I are going to be discussing our different unique perspectives on the process that we use. For creating our artwork, maybe roadblocks that we encounter as well. So I think this will be fun, Barb, talking about this. I don't really talk about it specifically. You know, this is my process. I I do it over demonstrations, but I think this will be fun. Yeah, totally. I'm gonna talk about my process, and I will, you know, tell you what I do. But I'll also tell you that I am, and Barb, maybe you're like this. I don't know, but I I can speak for me. I am married to a, uh, a process and it's not it's not really a formula. And so let me, I guess, explain that a little bit. But really what I'm talking about is I have a thought process in mind and I'm talking about every time that I sit down and I'm going to just work on creating art then I know how I'm going to approach that because I've done it before. And so I have some consistency in being process oriented on how I begin and get to the end. But I'm doing that without being formulaic. And that may sound like a big contradictory statement, but it it really isn't intended to be. Um, So let me explain it like this. I don't have just a set uh surface that i work on every single time barb i know you don't either and i don't have set specific pencils that i work on every single time but i am married to a process and i'll explain that a little bit more but before we do that i think it'd be fun barb just talking about that creative process at the beginning what is it that we're looking for even in subject matter And then we can kind of move towards the middle of – or the beginning stages of how we get started on the paper. But this is what I do. I usually – I'm looking for something that is unique and something that is uh, suggesting a little bit of a story without being too busy. Because I think if you're too busy with your art, if the composition by the time I'm done is just this big old collage – then no one can enjoy anything and uh everything feels too crowded and jumbled and i i've seen it done well but i ain't the person that can do that well and i know that about me i want it to be simple clean and uh, i want the experience then to also be something that the viewer can enter the story they know where the focal point is they know where the resting area is in the composition and if i've achieved that then I'm happy with it. And so I'm kind of looking for that even when I'm out taking reference photos or I'm thinking of the ideas in my mind and I'm you know doing life sketching and stuff. When I get closer to uh, the end result of starting to say, OK, this is the one I'm going to draw, this is what I'm going to draw, then it's not in a sketchbook at all. I'm out with my camera and looking for something First, and then we'll talk about Photoshop a little later. But want to give you a chance to talk here, Barb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm here, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll come up
0: for air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you take a seat. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. take over from <laughs> <That's right>. Uh <laughs> Actually, I think I am going to kind of almost contradict what you just said a little bit in terms of what interests me <laughs> in a composition. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think what you do is is A lot of your work you have um, mostly you're doing a lot of faces and portraiture and that sort of thing. And I think the simplicity of what you're doing is it's appropriate for that because I think, um, you know, there's a lot of focus on the person's eyes and their expression and capturing something about, you know, them and their personality in that image. And you almost don't need anything else in that because I think especially when you're doing a representational portrait of someone, it, yeah. that's what you want to see uh, in a lot of ways like that's that's that is the concept the concept is mm-hmm. the person and and finding something within the rendering of that to make yeah. it uh stand on its own now by contrast <laughs> what i like to do which is a little bit has a little bit more of a fantasy element sort of mixed in um, I like the idea of having a lot of, you know, texture and sort of interest in things happening within the image so that you're you're kind of staying engaged with it longer. That said, I'm also not representing a specific person. So the idea for me is more about representing a concept in the entire image as opposed to representing a specific person and that being the subject. So. Um, I think when I, from my creative process standpoint, what I usually start with um, is either a concept or a theme or an idea and then collecting imagery and whether that's imagery that I've taken myself or images that I have from um, royalty-free reference sites and doing a composition based on those things and combining those images. And so... I'm working a lot in Photoshop in that case um combining images together, doing color adjustments, doing any kind of um adjustments to facial features and that sort of thing so that it's not looking so closely um to the original model if I'm doing you know something with a person's face in it um so yeah my my process is quite different that way where i'm I'm sort of combining elements together and and making more of an an overall sort of image that you can move through as opposed to needing one single subject matter to stand on its own.
0: That's awesome. And I love it that we both work mostly in different uh, subject areas uh, with the same medium for the most part. Um, But yeah, we have a different take on this, so I think this will be an interesting discussion. Uh, Okay, so the the next part in uh, my process is once I get some images that I that I like that I feel like are compelling enough, um, and I, can, I I'm I'm looking for this. Uh, you know, this is one of the questions that I get often: is what are you looking for in a in a portrait? You know, we'll just relegate it to portraits since uh, that's mostly what I do. And they'll say, what what is it that you're looking for? What is that thing that you're looking for? And a lot of times that's been very difficult to nail down and to pin down and to put into words. But I'll tell you what I'm not looking for. I'm not wanting the subject to be oversimplistic. Now, I know that that may not be everyone's style, but when I look at um, the portrait of the person, I want there to be something about the expression or the angle or both or the lighting or the mood created that helps you to, as the viewer, to wonder, to not understand what's going on, to contemplate what may be going on with this particular person, what they may be thinking about, what they may be. Considering or their station in life, a socioeconomic status of this person, or, um, you know, are they being, um, you know, exploited or is there some introspection going on? Or is, you know, if you got a big fat, cheesy smile on your face, that may be a dead giveaway that you're just happy. And if I, if all I'm conveying is, oh, they're happy, then, I can tell you personally, when I see a portrait that just says, hey, say cheese, I'm not lingering very long, typically. Now, I can't just say that as across the board that that never happens, because sometimes, you know, it can be compelling enough just because of other things that I will linger a little bit longer. But for the most part, I'm wanting someone who has some melancholy look about their face sometimes or just something that can draw you in. And so it's hard to put your finger on, and I'm not intentionally being, um, you know, real wishy-washy about this, but it's hard to put into words. But I am looking for something that will draw me in, and I'm hoping will also draw in the viewer.
1: I think that's interesting, too, because, I mean, the thing about art is that you're you're sort of – you have this opportunity to tell a story in a very still – two-dimensional way Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: i think you know you're not doing in my opinion your job as an artist (laughs) if you're not looking for for something more in 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 the image and i think the ones that tend to resonate with people more are you know the images that are you know there's something more there there's something about their expression i mean it's one of the reasons why the mona lisa is so popular right right it's that You know, the debate over whether she's smiling or whether she's not. And, you know, that 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 it's 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 in a way, you know, where everyone is so familiar with that image now. But, you know, initially it was it was just this thing that and even to some extent to this day that people are just so captivated with because. Like she's she's smiling, but she's not. And it's like, who's this person? What is this mystery? And it's like, and it it maybe seems silly that there's so much controversy over a singular image, but that's what great art does. It it gives you this this it makes you pause and and think about it. I actually had this this conversation with my boyfriend last night because he was talking about, um, just his experience viewing art and sort of how he feels about like kind of articulating his feelings about looking at a piece of Mm. art and. And mm-hmm. what I was saying to him, um, I did a uh, a drawing of uh, his, his grandfather's truck for him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was a photograph he had taken, and he wanted me to do a drawing of it. And so I had done this drawing, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, you know, I when I look at it, I can't, I, I'm not going to sit there and say all these things like, oh, it just, the, the the strokes of the pen, like, you know, he's just like, that's not his scene. And I get it. And for a lot of people, yeah. that's the case. And what I said to right. him too, was that I'm like, well, you know, it's different when you're looking at, you know, something that is an object, for example, a rendering yeah. of an object, it's harder to get that kind of emotional response from it because, it's first of all it's it's yes there can be some sort of attachment to that object but it's it's yeah. different when you're representing humanity or even an animal for that matter because we we do associate emotion and that sort of thing yeah. with those subjects so um it I mean if you drew a person and there was absolutely no emotion involved I mean maybe that's a statement in itself but it would also be really hard to do that right like you you you're almost expecting and wanting that experience from right. from a portrait whereas you know something that's an and that's not to say that you can't create mood and emotion with something that's a still life for example but it's it's going to be a different you're not sitting there necessarily personifying a bowl of fruit right like you're not you're not right. you, you may be able to create a story around uh What is happening in the scene around it that you can't see, but you're not going to be like, "Wow, that." thing I feel like we're talking a lot about fruit lately, but (laughs) you're not going to be like, "That (laughs) apple looks like it 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 had a lot of trauma when it fell from the tree." (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's it's it's a good point.
0: Yeah, it's not that there is something. Yeah,
1: there's not that same emotional connection. So when, especially when you're working on portraiture, like I feel like that that is so important. In it is is to find that way to to find that um, emotional connection. And also because as human beings, we're used to interacting with each other and reading, you know, facial cues yeah. and and sort right. of, um, you know, reading body language and that sort of thing and, and expecting to like, you know, when, you, when you're when you talking to someone, you either enjoy talking to them or you don't, or you know they're in a good mood or you don't. And when you're talking about a flat two-dimensional image, you're relying on on that exact, like nailing that exact expression to be able to convey what you want to convey to your viewer.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I I think you're right that if you're, you know, uh, portraying a a, a bowl of fruit or some any still life, then it, you know, it's so hard because then what happens is it's all on you, Uh, the artist. You've got to really execute well uh, and create the mood Uh, That mood or that interaction that the viewer may have because of how you handle the medium that you're working in or how you have, uh, you know, this little interplay between the medium and the surface. Um, You know, there's a lot of other things come into uh, the picture, the, the story when you're stuck with something that is, you know, just a static image or this inanimate object. That you're bringing life to it. You're breathing something else into it. Uh, yeah, I think that's very interesting. Yeah. On, on one hand, I mean, if we think about it, uh, portraits are kind of easy then in that respect. I mean, because you're portraying something that in and of itself is first off, it's compelling to people anyway, because we can all relate to um, looking at a person because we are a person. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> we some- are people. <laughs> totally and i think somebody who does like dramatic still life really well is um cecile yeah. baird like oh, her definitely. her work yeah. is i mean my goodness oh, like she she has a like she is one of the few people i've seen who's done a still life and found a way to 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 make you feel an emotion even though you're not looking at something that is al- alive per se yeah <laughs> you know but, but it feels
0: like it i mean yeah it's just so
1: i mean it it, it, totally and and that that to your point i think is harder it is harder to do that with an inanimate object or a still life and that sort of thing and again not saying it's not possible because it obviously is but it's different when you're talking about a portrait and and again i think you know for both of us we're we're sort Mm -hmm. of um you know one of the things that i i kind of made a decision on oh it would have been a couple years ago now but um you know, I had been doing a lot of representational colored pencil work, just you know, copying photographs that I liked, that sort of thing. And what I found was that while, you know, being able to execute the image and may and, and being like, okay, I, I copied this photo, it looks great. Like, but what was missing for me was that I felt like there was nothing about the work that I was creating that felt um I don't know, like, it just didn't, it just, it looked, it was nice to look at, but it didn't feel like it had any kind of personality or, mm, or mm-hmm. sort of individuality to me as an artist. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, at the time that I kind of started making the change in my artwork, um, I, I was going through a lot personally at the time and, and I, and I really started channeling that into the work that I was creating and sort of yeah. started using a lot more kind of themes and trying to pick you know, so women had certain expressions on their faces and that sort of mm. thing. And and what I found also from from a response perspective is that when mm-hmm. I started kind of putting more meaning into my artwork and having more of a personal connection and being a little bit more vulnerable in terms yeah. of, of the subject that I wanted to talk about and that sort of thing is that I, it was actually amazing to me the response that I got from people and just, mm-hmm. you know, just people really... Being like, I, I, you know, cause I would put like a little bit of a, a backstory to the piece when I would post it and that sort of thing. And, and it was really rewarding for me also to some extent, you know, I guess cathartic if you want to say that in terms Mm -hmm. of like channeling the emotions I was feeling into, into these pieces. But, um, I, I mean the the bigger thing for me was that that was actually connecting more with people too like it, it mm-hmm. wasn't just a i wasn't just another artist creating another you know pretty picture i guess um yeah yeah and I think when you talk about right. finding individuality and in your voice as an artist that's a big part mm-hmm. of it right like it's finding oh, yeah big t- it's finding what do you what do you want to say with your art? Yeah. I mean, not yeah. not to be like super, you know, airy-fairy about it or whatever, but like yeah, yeah. you know, it truly it's like what what is it that you want to say? I mean, and it, and it's right. not that it needs to be a grand political or social statement necessarily, but you know, and I'll yeah. use Cecile Barrett as a as an example again. I mean, she's maybe not necessarily making a giant commentary on anything socially or anything like that with her work, but she's still saying something with the work yeah. that she creates. Right. And and I think, um, you know, that's that's the kind of thing when you talk about finding your path as an artist. Those are the kind of things that you need to kind of look and pay attention to and see, like, okay, what right. interests me and what can I say. Um, visually with my voice and and with the medium.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's good art too, when you're able to do that. And I think you're going to be more proud of your work Uh, when you're able to give voice to something that is happening inside anyway. Mm
1: -hmm. All right.
0: So let's move along here then and talk about, uh, so once we've got this idea that I think we, we've kind of explored that a little bit, right, Barb, the ideation phase of it, and then going into more of the, the creative side, what I'm doing then after I have this idea and I put it, uh in the, you know, uh, the camera lens, uh, and I actually take the shots. Um, I'm usually taking, I don't know, sometimes, uh, lately I've only taken one or two. I know that sounds really weird because used to, I'd take like 500 of something, (laughs) but lately I've been able to narrow it down. I usually still take quite a few, but there's been a few times that I've only taken one or two shots and, uh, I'll sit there a long time and sometimes i'll take a shot i'll look at it on my digital camera on the lcd and i'm like that's not it and i'll delete it um and i've gotten that down to where it's a, a little less you know i'm not taking quite as many the reason that i try not to take only one or two though is because here's what happens i come back and i get it loaded up on my computer and it's out of focus or something like that and that just drives me insane like You had the camera right there in your hands. Why didn't you take just a few more? So, you know, glad we're in the
1: era of digital right now. Remember back in the day when you had to just take a picture and hope it turned
0: out? Yeah, just hope and pray (laughs) that it's going to work. But yeah, I mean, now, you know, I, I, I'm not taking 500 every single time. And uh, there was a time. Yeah, I just took a ton because I didn't know what I was looking for. I think it was part of it. Now I kind of know beforehand what I'm really looking for. I get that back. I go through the images, looking at them sort of one by one. And sometimes this doesn't happen real often, but sometimes I'm selecting more than one uh, to draw from because of just a little bit of an angle, certain things going on with with the the photo. And uh, but most of the time I'm picking one. Predominantly, I'm always picking one anyway. I shoot in raw, so I have the ability to change it a lot. After I get it into Photoshop and I'm looking for the lighting to be just so because I, I want there to be some kind of um, clear separation in the lights and the darks. But then to me, a lot of the um, the interesting part of a, of a portrait is the middle values. And if those middle values are working out right, then that's where I'm gonna spend most of my time anyway. It's easy to, to work on the lights, it's easy to work on the darks, right? You're gonna spend most of your time in the middle values. So if you can figure out something in there that creates a soft, subtle, slow gradation from light to dark, um, you may have more work to do, but it to me, And my personal preference in art that is where it's at (laughs) that is that just creates the most interesting compelling pieces ever is where you can tell someone knows how to handle the middle values um you know used to i remember you know people talking a lot and they would say don't be afraid to go dark it was just like on every facebook group i ever went to they'd always say don't be afraid to go dark and like what in the world who doesn't know how to go dark? I mean, even if you don't, I get, I get what they're saying, but, uh, you know, when you start out in colored pencil, maybe in other art mediums as well, but colored pencil for sure, it's kind of scary. I think for a lot of new beginners to the medium to use their dark values and to get the full range. Right. But you quickly move past that. I would hope. And then, um, you know, not being afraid to go dark. Doesn't really resonate too much anymore. But what I see is people afraid to go middle. okay, if I can coin that, don't be afraid to go middle. Don't be afraid to work on your middle values is what I want to scream to people, because the lights and the darks. I've seen third graders get where it's bright and where it's dark, you know, white, white crayon, black, black crayon. But it's in those middle values, those soft, subtle transitions from one area to the next, from the lights to the darks. There's magic in that when you can get that to look representational and to look right. This is the challenge for every artist. We're trying to get people to stop and look at our work. No matter how long they look at your work, it will never compare. It's not even a comparison to how long it took for you or any artist to create that piece, right? You spent hours and hours and hours looking at that work. Most people... Unless it's a Mona Lisa, I guess, are not spending more than a few minutes usually looking at your art piece and then they're gone. They're on to the next thing, you know, so to get them to stop and to spend just a small fraction of the time that it took you to create is a big, big challenge.
1: It totally is. Um, What I wanted to add also to the, when you're talking about editing your photos, um, one of the things that I think uh, tends to um, turn people off from using their own photography a lot of the time is because, you know, if they're, they're not trained to be a photographer and all the ins and outs of taking photography it's they're not getting the level of um contrast middle values all that with um the photo that they're taking themselves and part of that comes from practice and understanding technique and that sort of thing What I would say is that, um, you know, you and I are both talking about Photoshop a lot. But uh, what I would say is for somebody who wanted to invest in a program that does very similar things and is much easier to use, I would recommend Lightroom. Um, You can buy Adobe Creative Cloud programs singularly. So if you if Photoshop can do a lot of things that a lot of people aren't necessarily going to need Um, If you're talking about just primarily doing photo editing, Lightroom is a lot easier. It doesn't have all the extra bells and whistles that Photoshop has, for example. And um, I'm actually, I have it on my list to do a Lightroom for artists tutorial just because um, I hadn't spent a lot of time in it. And then recently I kind of was in there doing some stuff because I tend to usually only use Photoshop, but I had opened Mm -hmm. Lightroom up and I was like, you know, this is actually really, really, um, a lot easier to, to deal with and get, and get really great results in terms of, you know, dealing with your contrast, even changing, there's a color grading setting. Like there's, there's whole, there's so much in there that, and it's such a powerful tool that I think if you want to take your own photography, but you're maybe not you know, you have a decent camera, you think you can get the composition down, but you're still struggling with the lighting part of it. There's a lot you can do in post-production in those programs that can kind of aid you a little bit, um, just to get your, your, your reference at least closer to what you need to work from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I often forget about Lightroom because I'm usually dealing with like, one or a few images rather and yeah lightroom really is great for that and it's quick it's so it's, so fast.
1: it's so quick honestly sometimes i'm like what have i been doing this the right, hard right. way for and actually oh, I know, I know. and actually i would argue that like lightroom even does some things like you can just get to a a solution way quicker than you can in Photoshop. And I'm like, why doesn't Photoshop have this? This is ridiculous. Yeah, I know.
0: know. Anyway, that's a a, a
1: a, different podcast. It's
0: a different podcast, really. (laughs) But but I would encourage anyone listening, if you are shooting your own um, photos, then, and I would encourage you to do that at some point, if you're not already, uh, start to try to do that at least. Uh, Many phones will shoot in raw file type, and no matter what it is you're doing, it, you know if you're using a phone or anything else try to shoot in raw file type not jpeg no compression on it whatsoever because you can do so many more things with uh in the post production of manipulating that image that you just can't do there's just no way to do that once you already have a compression uh setting already on the image like jpeg image uh, yeah which is and so and popular.
1: And to clarify what that means for people that might not be as tech savvy is that it it's retaining more pixel information in the image. Yep. Um, when something is compressed down to a JPEG, for example, it kind of gets it down to the smallest possible version. You're not going to maybe visually see a lot of loss, but when it comes to actually manipulating that image in a digital way in, a, in those programs, it's it's retaining a lot more um Information to work from essentially is, is yeah, the because the
0: JPEG image, um, you can't manipulate hardly anymore because it's already been manipulated, yeah, by that compression. Uh, in a raw file type, yeah, you're right, it 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 maintains everything. It's not going to look as good, um, on the you know, the front side of it as a JPEG image will, but it will uh, it will look better later because you can do so much more with it, yeah. I, I also hope that, that but, didn't confuse everyone.
1: <laughs> yes, we got super technical about things. Yeah, but no, it's it's important to make the distinction I think because no. I think for some people they were like, "Well, what's the difference with with raw versus yeah. whatever?" and I mean, yeah, no, for I'm you not- and I, we're both very well worse well sorry, well versed in that, but I think it's important to kind of explain yeah. that to people that maybe don't I, I right. often sometimes like I, I always realize that when I talk to somebody who who isn't a graphic designer and, and doesn't have kind of that technical knowledge I'll like talk to them about something and they'll be like oh and I'm like oh right you don't deal with this every day so you don't yeah. know I should probably explain <laughs> myself instead of, assuming, yeah, instead of assuming yeah instead of assuming everybody has the same knowledge base as me Right. right. <laughs> but uh, what I wanted to say also to your, to your comment about um, how people don't Tend to go dark enough, um, yeah. with uh, With their images, I mean, I would say in in a lot of like beginner colored pencil work, that's often that's the thing I see a lot too. Is yeah. that people are like, "Oh, well, I think I'm done." It's like, no, you you still have like eighty more layers to go, yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. And and contrast, and I think one of the ways to so there's two ways that I think are are good to kind of check that and to to push yourself with that. So one is to step back from it instead of being like having it a foot away from your face.
0: Right. Um,
1: step, step even like to the other side of the room, however yeah. big the room is, and just see right. like what parts of that drawing is popping out, what parts aren't, and then compare that to whatever reference photo you're using. And yeah. then the second would be sometimes even taking a picture or looking at it through your phone will actually show you those things too. And you don't have to get quite as far back, but just by because of the way your camera lens is on your phone, your smartphone and it'll kind of like give you this this feeling of kind of distance from it a little bit yeah. so um yeah, those exactly. are both things that are <laughs> we're supposed to be talking yeah. about ourselves and we're here just like <laughs> I
0: we're advice. All this advice so. I mean
1: that's part of it too. <laughs> it it's jogs, just like it's funny we've gotten distracted yeah. from
0: <laughs> Yeah, it it jogs your memory and makes you think, "Oh, they need to yeah. know, everyone needs to know this." But but the other thing about I love that point because I, that's something that I, I talk a lot about um with with my students uh and they you know when they're sending me in their work a lot of times what will happen is it's the first time they're taking a shot of it with their cell phone or scanning it and they start to send it to me as soon as they do that they see that little thumbnail image and they're like oh this is standing out to me right now and they didn't see that before prior to sending it to me so that's a very important yeah, part there, of the process
1: there's something about just uh at the way your your phone or your camera or whatever takes the yeah. picture of something that it I mean it just it just mm-hmm. I mean obviously but it just it really does change the way your eye perceives it and sometimes For it can sure. be easier to pick out those those things that way and and it's still something that I use is is my point and also bringing that up is that it's not it's not necessarily that as with experience you you don't need those tools anymore. I think even experienced oh, artists yeah, yeah, even experienced artists have these sort of tricks or or I guess tools or aids to yeah. to sort of help them when they're um you know experiencing sort of some of these issues or of you right. know why isn't my image you know I mean it's it's one of the things I I often have to do is kind of step back and be like okay do I need more contrast here or is this like mm-hmm. You know, or even just stepping, sometimes even just stepping away for like an hour yeah. or two can be enough yeah, for that, you to come back and be like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, definitely stepping away and then coming back. It just, it's, it's almost like, you know, like they say, sleep on it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You come back, it just stands out at you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. So one of the things then that uh, I've been kind of harping on a little bit lately with art mentoring students in particular Um, not harping. That sounded so negative. That's not really what I mean, but we've been talking a lot about it. Running
1: a rough ship there. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: crack the whip. Poor
1: students. Um, Are you guys okay?
0: (laughs) Right. No, but uh but it came up recently a couple of times. Um and and I really didn't think about it until later. So let me talk about what I'm what I'm about to discuss with you. And that is that after I get this image, the way that I want it to look and I'm ready to start uh, drawing from it, I like to print the image. I'll print the image out. That's not because I think printed images are superior or anything like that. Um, It's really a very pragmatic approach to uh, rendering, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I'll print that out, and I often will print a very large one, and then I'll print one that is like, site size, the same as what I'm wanting to render. And then sometimes even something smaller, but I usually will always in the beginning have a black and white that I'm working from often have it on my iPad or on my monitor um, and I'll look at it over there, maybe from time to time, but the angle and the perspective that I'm looking at from my monitor is not accurate. It's not a good uh, method of rendering on my artwork. What happens is I'm seeing it a little bit skewed from the perspective of where my eyes are and looking at that. And then where my desk is, where I am going to uh, create my piece on my angled easel here on my desk. So the, the point is this, if I've got that sheet of paper that I printed the image on and it's right there beside my drawing surface, then i can get it lined up in the exact orientation as my drawing surface then i want to put them as close together as possible and i want to be i want to be lined up as as close as possible to the middle of this or look back and forth sometimes i'll have one in, uh, over the top oftentimes as well and then one beside my artwork but if I can keep looking back and forth, and keeping that in the same orientation, that's going to help me. I'm going to do myself so many more favors by doing that. Here's what I often see: I'll see uh, a student working on something. I saw this a lot doing workshops, and uh, and teaching uh, weekly classes at Hobby Lobby. I remember this this happened all the time. They'll have their artwork here and their reference beside it, and then all of a sudden, the reference is over here, like sideways and their drawing surface is over here, like um, nearly perpendicular, you know, and uh, that if you try to just look over there and make up the information and translate in your head the way that's supposed to be interpreted on this surface over here in this orientation, uh, I don't know how you do that. I mean, there's too many mental acrobatic moves that go on with that, and it's just so tough to do. So you're doing yourself a lot of favors by lining all of that up and having it right there in front of your face. Um, it's funny. That sounds like the most simplistic thing ever, but I'm telling you, it'll change your life <laughs> if you start <laughs> doing that. And if you realize, oh, this, is, this could be a source of, of a problem, why I can't see these angles the way that I probably should.
1: I think so. to add to that too, part of the issue is then: Are you still making a representational drawing, or have you now decided, okay, I think I know what hair looks like, or I know what an eye looks like, so I'm just kind of going off and doing my own thing and filling in the blank? Where yeah, then it
0: becomes formulaic.
1: Yeah, right? like if you're if you're actually trying to accurately either draw something or represent the way something looks, it's very important to to stick to that yeah. reference very closely yeah. and. Um, I think sometimes people can get, you know, they get lost in their drawing, which is cool. It all ha- it happens to yeah. everyone, but uh, that's oh, yeah. also when you can start to, you know, start going off the rails in terms of yeah. not n- now things don't look right and you don't know why. Well, it might've been right. because you were taking too much time away from, from your original source that you were referencing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah exactly. So that's a, a very important part of the, the drawing process in the creation of uh your artwork for me is keep that in the same orientation uh you know and we know the old tricks about you know someone will say well turn it upside down to see things better and i do that occasionally i don't do that uh quite as often anymore but once in a while i do or i'll turn it on its side but the important thing about that is always put your drawing in that same orientation. <laughs> I know that probably sounds silly to those of you that do always do that, but there's there's a number of people that sometimes forget to do that. And so, just a general reminder there, make sure that your drawing is in the same orientation as uh your reference photo. So, that's just an important thing to to keep in mind. Okay, so the other thing is and to sort of hasten along I'm creating a line drawing first and I'm either so if I'm doing this as a freehand study that I'm making available, like in one of the courses, uh, then obviously I'm going to freehand it and I'm going to use erasable pencils, usually the Caran Dosh sketcher pencil or the Prismacolor collar race pencils, and I'll lightly sketch out where the line drawing is and. After I'm done with that phase of it, I'll erase most of those darker marks so that I have a faint image to go off of. That creates my roadmap. The next thing that I do is I'm looking for the darkest values first. I'm using typically a darker pencil within the mid-range normally, but a darker pencil like Dark indigo and polychromos has been a popular one that I like to use, and I'm looking for the darkest values first, and so I'm rendering those first, and I'm lightly applying layers of where those dark values are, and I'm trying to fill in you know, shadows. I'm looking for shadows, I'm looking for dark values, so I'm really pushing that grizzly kind of method throughout the piece. And I'm working in a monochromatic way to try to get all of the dark values in their right spot. I'll go back over it and lengthen all of those shadows and start encroaching the dark areas into the mid-range area. And uh, then I start adding more values. On top of that, mixing in more correct colors, more of the colors that I see in skin tone and... What not focusing more than on features, but I'm building it all up slowly all the way around the piece, and I'm trying to work my way around the piece if at all possible. Sometimes I'll reserve something like the hair for the last or something like that, but that's typically the way that I work, and if you're a student of mine, then you're not shocked at all. You know exactly that that's the process I use, so there's no secrets there. If you've watched any of my videos even, you know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> uh yeah so i guess just I to i'm talk- an
0: open book i guess with yeah, all that no. <laughs> i don't think uh, there's any secrets. <laughs> oh
1: no, definitely not um yeah i was gonna say so i guess my my process comparatively is is quite a bit different um because i'm typically using a lot of mixed media with my work um what'll usually happen is once i've kind of decided on my composition in photoshop and then take that as my reference and i'll create a more refined line drawing from that so i'm not always necessarily fully photoshop compositing it i'm doing it i'm getting it to a point that i can use it at least to draw from and then my actual line drawing is refined and you know some of the areas where the transitions are a little weak in the actual photocomposite i'm i'm doing the work to kind of you know figure those parts out and actually draw them And then my line drawing from there, um, I transfer to whatever the final piece of paper I'm using is. And I'll use color erase as well. Um, I try to tend to use... (laughs) Mine will be really colorful in the beginning because I'll try to use a color that is similar to what the end color will be in that area. Uh, So I typically use a lot of like flowers and stuff in my images so if there's a pink flower one area i'll do the outline in like pinks and stuff like that just so that the end result is is closer to to that same color um i just found personally i i i used to love pencil and i just can't anymore (laughs) Like I, i just i i really struggle with 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 using pencil now i just i'd prefer to to have like use a color pencil for my line drawings just Mm -hmm. when i'm initially doing the drawing so anyways
0: comparing that to graphite pencil
1: yes sorry yes graphite um yeah i just don't i i for whatever reason i just i just just not a fan anymore but anyways this you know good example of how you, yeah your process and things change uh so then if i'm doing a piece mixed media with colored pencil typically if i'm using um i like using the uh the Faber-Castell Albrecht or Pitt pens. So mm-hmm. um, I'll use those or whatever other comparable markers. And I'm looking for areas where I'm either using the darkest color that I see or the lightest color that I see. And I'm filling in that area with a flat color mm-hmm. of, of that. And sometimes I'll put, you know, some gradations and stuff with various other markers mm-hmm. in there. But for example, um, you know if I'm doing hair or something and it's it's someone who's a brunette, I'll do the darkest tone that I see as the flat base color or sometimes in the middle tone it depends because then I know depending on what what the color of the hair is, I know enough about what colors will do over top of one another so right. if I know that um I have a really opaque pencil that'll the you know and this is part of where experimentation comes in right like understanding um you know, which pencils you have are opaque enough to create a certain color when it's over top of a darker one or that sort of thing yeah. or vice versa. You know, most people know with colored pencil, you can't put light colors very easily over top of darker ones. So, you know, for example, if I'm doing... um like an area of like the skin or something chances are if I'm filling that in with a flat tone it's going to be the lightest tone that I see and then I'm putting darker ones over top of that for example so um, I'm sort of working more in areas and I'm doing an analysis on the area of that I'm going to be rendering and, and understanding how I'm going to layer those colors to get the end results so there's, um, a little bit of (laughs) kind of mental gymnastics, if you will going on for me there just to, to be like, okay, if I want this look, I need to put this color down first and then use these colors over top sort of thing. So, um, and, and that can be a little bit tricky and sort of isn't necessarily as intuitive. And part of that comes from practice, but you know, if you're, if you're using mixed media in that way, um, it's, uh, it's, it's important to kind of understand your your steps I guess or the process mm-hmm. in which you're going to do things cuz that it'll affect your end result. So yeah. um and yeah, for be- me like I I feel like I've figured out a way to to do that now but obviously like I said much different because you know for you you're sort of using this grisai method to kind of build things up whereas I'm not always necessarily like adhering to that as closely.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so that's fascinating to hear and and um I mean to be fair sometimes I I am using like a water-soluble, uh, pencil, like, uh, the Dyna portrait that I did, I used ink tints and then flooded that surface with water. Um, and it just created this smeary kind of mess, which was nice because it toned the background. I was using bark ink tints, uh, pencil, and then went on top of that and I was on sanded paper, but, um. You know and we do, really didn't talk a whole lot about this and i guess barb maybe this would be good for a, another show another time but uh color considerations and how to start working in color you know i'm think i'm try. this is usually what i'm doing i'm trying to oversimplify things when i'm working uh even in my own mind because i can i can surely make it more complicated than it needs needs to be yeah but the simpler i can make it for myself Better off I'm going to be, so I'm working in that grisaille method, not because I think it's something superior. You know, I've had people ask about that. Why am I doing that? Because I guess I'm kind of a simple guy, and I want it to be simple, and it makes it easier on me because all I'm doing is figuring out the values, and I'm figuring out how far do I gradate this shadow. You know, how far is this gradation from dark to light, and then. It's going to make my job so much easier when I start adding color. And I'm thinking in opposites typically with color. Uh, when I start you know, starting to add more color than on top, I'm trying to figure out, okay, if this is ultimately going to be a red or yellow, then I'm going to get a more blue in here or more green or brown or something. I'm I'm usually oversimplifying the colors too. I guess I'm just very simplistic in everything I'm thinking about, but I'm usually thinking about red, yellow, or blue. And I'm not getting much more complicated with it than that. I'm just I'm trying to oversimplify it and categorize colors. It's the reason why I organized my pencils the way I did. Now they're all just in colors and not brands. And and so I'm looking for you know either dark dark blue, middle value blue, or a purple, or you know, and then we could go on to the the other colors that um that are there but that makes it easier for me and now you know I'm getting used to this new system and I'll just grab something over there uh and I kind of know which you know pencil I'm probably going to gravitate towards before I get to that point because I'm thinking about that as I'm working on the piece but there's a whole lot I th- I feel like Barb you and I could probably talk a lot more about color considerations maybe we've done that we may have done a show on that <laughs>
1: I, I was going to say, I think losing what's track a tracker Yeah, totally. I'm like, how, how many has it been? Uh, I think what's, a, what's important to add to that too, is that, um, you know, what you're saying about simplifying your color yeah. choices and that sort of thing that yeah. that's actually really important. And I think something that, yeah. that maybe people don't focus on enough because I, it goes back to that, that whole thing of, well, I need the 120 colors or I need every right. single color that this pencil makes. And, and I guess the argument that lately we've been making a lot <laughs> is is just that that you know it- the value in buying even a set of twelve, for example, and yeah. you know, not yeah. to not continue to harp on this, but I really, I'm a really firm believer in this. Is that, you know, what what you're saying is that essentially, if you're breaking things down to just even the the, the primary colors that you need to cre- to create other colors, yeah. um, essentially, if if you take out the factor of needing the right color for something and right. start looking at it from the perspective of okay, well, what happens if I simplify my color palette? What happens if I I only have these colors to work from yeah. and I need to now create this other color like it, it I, w- I would also argue that I think you'll tend to muddy your colors less when you understand yeah. what you're doing and you can simplify your coloring so even yeah. for me when when I started working a little bit more mixed media having an understanding of looking at an area that I wanted to render and really breaking that down into like basic colors and then how to layer that really right. simplified it for me too, because then I wasn't sitting there trying to, um, you know, and and of everybody's process is different this way for me, I work in layers and maybe that's just from yeah. years of being a graphic designer and working in Photoshop or something. But like, <laughs> I, I honestly feel like to me, it's like, okay, what's the base color? What's the middle yeah. color? What are the detail colors? And I, yeah. and, and I approach everything with kind of that almost a three or four layer perspective. And I find right. it really, it really simplifies things down for me because then when I'm looking mm-hmm. at a really complex image, I'm not sitting there getting overwhelmed by it. I'm I'm right. studying it and, and understanding what I'm actually looking at and how to achieve those things, as opposed to just trying to make sure I have all the colors to try and make it happen. Right. Right.
0: right. I highly encourage anyone that is starting out in the medium to, to the, do that very thing, oversimplify things, especially in the beginning. Um, I work in layers also. I think it's probably a really popular way to work in colored pencil, but seems like it's just as popular to do the little sections at a time and uh, build that up to completion. But I would uh, argue for this side that Barb and I come from of just layering and oversimplification because it just makes your job easier. And so you're worried about shape at the beginning, when you're doing your line drawing, you're worried about the value. If you're doing a gris method, you're worried about color and shape uh, and all of those things, but you're adding more color as you get closer to the finish. That's the way it is for me. I'm, the closer I get to the end result, the more color I'm adding, the more saturated I'm getting with my colors. I may start out in opposites for a while, but then I'm muting those colors back down. But then when I get close to being done with it, I'm adding as many colors as possible Um because I i don't know. I just I love color a lot and I want there to be more color, especially in hair. That's been a lot of fun lately, just adding pink and blue and green and all kinds of things in hair cuz when i feel like there's easter eggs you can give people when they get up close to your work and you're like oh look at all that color they were able to use and it enhances just the appearance of your work and i th- i think that it really breathes more life into it when you can add more color rather than taking color away
1: well and and to your point with hair especially like i mean for a lot of people hair is very much a part of their appearance right like i yeah. mean it's you know and and to sort of spend so much time on their eyes and their face and their skin and then sort yeah. of forget about that part of it i mean it's right. it's i i think there, there's a miss there and you're right like when you can you can add that level of detail and attention in that part of a drawing it really it really helps sell it that much more i think right. because uh, you know for uh you know think of somebody like Elvis or something, you know, his hair is very iconic. Anybody who has like, iconic hair, if you will, you know, yeah. like that, that is so much a part of the look of them that to right. to not nail that the way you would their eyes almost is, is mm-hmm. sort of a miss, I think, because, and, and I, I get it. Hair is works. hard. It yeah. is, but, yeah. but yeah. it's something that like, if you're going to, if you're going to nail skin tones, you better learn how to nail hair too, because that's yeah. going to be honestly, like, I mean, yeah, no, it's to me, right. it's, to me, it's like, Find a way that works for you, and I mean, yeah. it's something that I really have made an effort to try and improve, even in my own work. Is it because I came to that conclusion as well? Is that I'm like, you know, the the thing that's missing about this piece. It doesn't matter how engaging I make the eyes, if if everything else kind of looks like it's an afterthought, then you know, it yeah. that's it, that's what the it ends up looking like. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent, it does. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah definitely. All right. This has been a cool discussion. I, I love this. Um, you know, I, I want to kind of round it out with this. And uh, maybe I've talked about this on uh, the podcast in the past. I'm not sure. But um, then I'll, I'll let you wrap up as well, Barb, if there's sure. any final thing. But, um, but I just want to say that pay attention to where you sign your work. <laughs> so recently I entered a piece in a show. And uh, I was told by by someone who had spoken with the judge that I got an honorable mention in the show. So I, I shouldn't I'm not whining, you know, I'm I'm fine with that. But what What? here's what the takeaway was. They said that he would have, this artwork would have ranked higher. I don't know what that means. Maybe I would have got a, um, you know, I don't know, third place or something. Who knows? But he just said that it would have ranked higher if he had signed that better if the signature wasn't as large as it was. So I guess, you know, in looking at it, and after I, after he said that, and I looked at it like, oh, I guess he's right. And I looked at it like, it sure looks like I, I think my name's really important <laughs> because it was it was pretty big, you know? And uh, so I feel like I've, I've corrected that a little bit and I'm making my signature a little bit smaller but uh you know he he was right i looked at it and was like yeah i think he's right it was in the wrong spot and it was too large sometimes the little tiny details matter so pay attention to that as well
1: just to (laughs) add to that what's funny about that story is that you know i before i went to art school i obviously had no problem signing my work i have a yeah. gloriously long last name so it is it is trying at best to like you know like do i really want to like spell all those letters out is they right. gonna read that or are they gonna get bored halfway through anyways so <laughs> so what's funny is that like when i went to art school i remember you know when i was training to be a, a graphic designer like the whole thing is graphic design you don't sign your work so um yeah. you know we, yeah. we 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 and also in illustration it's the same thing so yeah we kind of got it uh you know part the, the the term but beat out of us essentially yeah to, to not sign our work anymore and i got so You'll used bet. to doing that that when i started creating work after school i was like i i like i feel i see i even honestly still feel weird signing it because <laughs> i feel like i'm just like this isn't part of my composition and so i guess my advice to that would be that if you know signing your work is something that's important to you like obviously finding a way to make it work with your composition or or that sort of thing and um yeah you know take take that into consideration with your composition if it's something yeah. you plan on putting your signature on Take, yeah, take some time to think about where that's going to live and again if you right. are like me and you have a very long last name also think about that <laughs> because there are times when I'm like if only I had a shorter name this would be so much easier but but uh, yeah I mean it's it as much as that may be, seem like a weird thing that the judge kind of mentioned it, it can be something that becomes very distracting to your composition yeah. and especially, oh, yeah. especially you know when we were talking about your work how you know you're subject matter tends to be um simple in the sense that you're focusing just on the subject if you've now got this little scribble in the corner like that's now distracting your eye and and is your signature what you want people to look at or is it the person so it's like how do you might have been
0: nice but up there near the near the face is
1: is that where you put it
0: yeah it it was really in a bad spot (laughs) it really was so and I can't, there were some reasons why I did it that way, but I'm not going to go into it. I don't well, want them to sound like excuses. Yeah, but,
1: no, it's fine. But like, but, I think we're both kind it of was, the It same.
0: wasn't good. It was, it, he was right. It was in the wrong spot and I shouldn't have done that. And I've considered changing it now. It's all framed and everything, but I, and I may still do it, but you know, I, it, it's also a good reminder to me that, uh, that mattered.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an important thing to consider, right? Yeah, exactly yeah. that. I mean, if you, you know, when we're talking about process, that's actually really relevant because it is if you focused so much that you forgot about how to balance in signing yeah. it or whatever, it's final like, touch to yeah, the that, typically. I mean. Actually, what I find interesting is some people will use, um, like they'll make a little icon or something for themselves. Yeah, and I yeah. did. I actually wrote a blog post, and I think we had we had linked this in one of our previous shows, just about how to mm-hmm. sign your work and just some. Um, yeah. Some advice uh, in regards to that, but, uh, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to doing that, doing it that way. What Mm -hmm. I would say is that if you are the type of person that just wants to do your initials or create a, you know, some sort of an icon or a logo for yourself and that's how you want to sign your work. I would highly recommend that you sign your work on the back in a way that is legible where you can actually read your full name.
0: Yeah, exactly. Potentially
1: even put uh, details about the piece and that sort of thing, because just from a collector perspective or from, you know, people being able to identify your work down the road, like sometimes an icon isn't enough. Like, I mean, I know Albert Durer used to have the AD or whatever, but like, not everybody's Albrecht Dürer. Right? Like, <laughs> right, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, like sometimes it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> you just want to, you want to make sure that, uh, your work is, is identifiable and, you know, no. even initials sometimes isn't really enough because there are a lot of people no. with the same initials as you out there. Right. So, And uh, very
0: similar in script and the totally, way that they put totally. it on so, their work you know yeah
1: i mean sign it the way you want whatever you feel is yeah. appropriate but i but right. i would strongly recommend that, that you know at least on the back side of the piece there is a, a strong indication of of your your actual full name and something that identifies you
0: yeah all right that, that that'll be a wrap right there i love it that's very good advice and i think that's a good way to to think about you know the entire process from start to finish um, so if you're brand new to colored pencil, one thing, you know, in closing, I just want to say, um, and I think Barb and I both talked about it, don't don't get overwhelmed. Don't allow yourself to get overwhelmed. And if you start to become overwhelmed, then isolate what that thing is that's causing that overwhelm. And chances are you're overthinking it and simplify it in your mind think about what you know one thing I ask myself often is if I start to get overwhelmed not just with art with anything I'll say what would this look like if it were easy and what are the next one two and three steps I can take and just make it very very simple on myself and then I may not have step four figured out I may not have step five figured. I may not even have step three figured out but I can at least Identify what step number one is and maybe what step number two is. And if you do that, chances are you'll start a process in your mind and an open loop that you'll want to close and your brain will start figuring out what steps you need to take next after that. Okay, this has been a great show. Oh, Barb, I forgot to pay the bills. Um, (laughs) forgot to talk about UART sanded paper. So if you've never tried sanded paper before, now I think is a great time to start using sanded paper. It comes in two different colors. It comes in the traditional beige. It also comes in the dark, what they call dark. Some people refer to it as black. But the surface of UART is unique in the way that they even apply. Uh, the substrate to the paper. There's a barrier in between that substrate and the back of the paper. It accepts wet media, dry media, and uh, it you, you're not going to compromise any damage to the tooth when you do that. It takes multiple layers. You can layer lighter pencils over dark pencils. I highly recommend giving UART paper a try and experience a UART difference. And we think UART premium sanded pastel paper for the support of the colored pencil podcast. All right, guys, all the show notes are over there at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. And until next time, next week on Monday, 3 AM. This is when the show comes out. I told somebody that the other day, they were asking when it came out. And she said, Who's listening at 3 AM? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but that's when it comes out. Indonesia, so. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so anyway, I will talk to you next week. And until then, stay sharp and take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenartist.com.